God will not reject your prayer. Pray makes you stronger. I have never seen the righteous forsaken, begging for bread left to suffer.
tonight worship the Lord amen I love that song it's good to be here on a Friday night who knows what the young people of this world are doing on a Friday night but here we are worshiping the Lord in the darkest of hours in the darkest of ages God still has young people doesn't he and how many are privileged and happy to say I'm one of them I'm one of those that are gonna overcome in this age amen let's have a word of prayer Father, we've come tonight, Lord, to be in your house. Lord, we believe there's a divine appointment, Lord, for evenings such as this. Yes. Lord, you are the one who orchestrates these meetings. You're the one who plans them, Lord. We just happen to follow your leadership, Lord. Lord, we're so thankful, Lord. If only you could open our eyes, Lord, of understanding, perhaps you realize that nothing happens by chance, yes. that everything that seems natural to us behind it, there's a supernatural force driving it, Lord. So you have in your mind, Lord, set a date, such as tonight, where your people will come and be gathered here. Perhaps there's something that you want to speak to our hearts that will be an encouragement, Lord. Something that may change the course of our lives, Lord. That may pull us up, Father, maybe from our deepest despair or depression. Something can be said, Lord, to uplift us, Lord. So we commit the service into your hands tonight, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity we have. May you have your own way, Lord. Have the preeminence we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, open our Bibles. We'll just read a scripture and then you can have your seats. We'll turn to the book of Revelation chapter 3. Familiar scripture. We'll read verse 21. Say amen when you're there. We'll read, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and I'm sat down with my father in his throne. You may be seated. I'd like to greet you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a brother Jean. People call me Jean Manasseh, but most, most people call me Jean. So feel free to call me Jean. And uh, I'm from Clover the Bible Way. It's my first time actually leaving home. So this is a, a tremendous opportunity for me. And you, I'll never forget this, this opportunity tonight. So you're going to help me make this a memorable night for me? Or, or I'm going to go back home and say, never invite me again. <laughs> so as I was looking to the Lord for, for a direction tonight, 
my, my mind is kind of caught between two thoughts here. Either I'm going to preach or I'm going to give my testimony. So maybe I'll ask you, should I preach? Or who wants to hear how the Lord brought me here and where I am today? I know young people draw a lot of strength from that. So show of hands. Preach. <laughs> Perfect, because that's exactly what I intend to do. So I will give my testimony, perhaps in a different way that uh, it's usually done, in a different format that I've ever done it myself. And I want this to just be a, a get to know each other better. I want you to get to know me. I want to get you to know you as well. So this is going to be more, more dynamic and more everybody's going to participate. So I expect people to raise hand and ask questions. Because I'm on the spot here and I'm talking, so I'm going to put you on the spot too. So if you have a question, just raise your hand and then you can ask a question about anything where we are in the story of my testimony. I can answer that question. I can clarify a few things. I think that would be a good format. And uh, every now and then I'll throw a few quotes. And every now and then I'll perhaps catch a whiff of inspiration and preach for five minutes and go back to my testimony. Does that sound good? All right. So the thought that I have for tonight is the perspective of an overcomer. The perspective of an overcomer. And by definition, sorry, I didn't ask how long am I supposed to be? Wow. Okay. And I have no idea what time is it right now. It's okay, 8 o'clock. Right. I will try not to be long. The perspective of an overcomer. By definition, perspective means a particular attitude toward or a way of regarding something, a point of view, a standpoint, an attitude. So you can talk about a certain subject and say, what's your perspective on this? What's your thought? What's your attitude towards the subject? How, how do you view this? What's your standpoint? From what angle are you looking at this? And I find that a lot of, a lot of issues that we have in our walk with the Lord, as I was sharing my testimony, is because we have the wrong perspective. You know, David came to the camp where Goliath was making his boast. And all the generals and the leaders of the army of Israel were afraid. It's because of their perspective. They look at Goliath. They look at his stature. They look at his size. They look at his experience. And they look at themselves. And based on their perspective, they were paralyzed by fear. But when David comes on the scene, it's the same Goliath. With the same stature, with the same experience, with the same boast. But David's perspective is different than the rest of them. So where people saw Goliath as, this man is going to kill me. David said, this is my ticket to the throne. Because there was a reward to the overcomer. He was going to overcome Goliath, will, be, will marry the king's daughter. So he will come into the family of the king. And Goliath... For David represented access to the kingdom. But for everybody else in Israel, Goliath was, this is the end of my life. So the difference was in perspective. And you can find that if you have the wrong perspective about things, surely you're going to lose the victory. You're going to get paralyzed by fear. And that's why we need to have a mind change. That's why the Bible says we should have the mind of God. And the mind of God gives us a fresh perspective to look at things the way God looks at them. So I'm just going to share a little bit of my background and I'll, I'll show you where this thought is coming from and the reason why I, I chose this. 
I'm uh, Brother Jean, as I said, I was originally born in the Congo. Most people don't know that there's two Congos. So there's the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is DRC, the one that you hear about in the news. Then, then there's a smaller one across the river that's about four million people. It's a smaller country. That's where I'm from, which nobody hears about. Um, my parents were not message believers at first. My dad was a Catholic. My mom was a Protestant. Go figure how they got married. Um, but something, something interesting happened in my dad's life where his brother got really, really sick. And his elder brother was the one who put him through school, who supported him, who was uh, basically his caretaker or caregiver. And uh, when, my, when his brother got sick, so my uncle, my dad got really desperate for, for his brother and he said, I need to find a God that can heal him. So he started going from church to church, from the Catholic church, Protestant church, Pentecostal church, from church to church looking for a God that had power to heal his brother. One day he ends up in a message church, and he forgot about his brother. Because that day he got something greater than the healing of his brother. He got salvation, and he met the Lord in the light of the message of the hour. Amen. So then he had, you know, he was married, he already had four kids. Then they came into the message, and then I was born. So I always like to brag I'm the first one born in the message in my family. I have a little sister after me. But so that, that's my background. So I, I grew up in the message church. I'm assuming most of you as well. So I'm very familiar with the struggles of message believers that are raised and born and raised in the message, so to speak. But nobody is really born in the message, right? We were born in a message church. You get birth in the message when you receive the Holy Ghost. That's really when the message gets in you. Until then, you're going to church. You know, it's the God of mom. It's the God of dad. It's the God of our family. It's the religion of our family. It's what we know. But there comes a point in time where you have to have a personal experience with God. Where it's no longer the God of mom and dad. It's my God. Which means mom and dad can change their mind. They can go back to where they were. And I will stay. Because I'm not following the God of a parent, I'm following God. So that being said, I was raised in the message church doing all the things that were right. You know, pretty much a good kid. And my dad, my dad worked for the UN, so we, we traveled to different places wherever he was sent. And uh, when I turned about seven years old, we moved to a country called Zimbabwe. Um, my dad was working there. We, we, we lived there for about four years, so from 11 to 14 or to 15, that's where I lived. And uh, well, from 7 to 11 first, then I, I went back when I was 14. But it was while I was there that I started really to know the things of God. So my, my, uh, my earliest memory as a kid is I remember sitting in church about three years old. I remember uh, I was super excited about music. That's why I love music today. I play, I play the keyboard, the piano, the bass. Uh, but I remember distinctly being excited about music. I came to church and I sat down and I said, I want to listen to the music. And as soon as the preacher came, I fell asleep. <laughs> fell asleep on my dad's lap. That's what I remember. Then I remember when the song came, I woke up again. So music has always been a, a, a huge part of my life. But that's my, my, my fondest memory as a, as a kid. I, don't even, I didn't remember anything else than that. But when I came to, to Zimbabwe, that's when I was old enough and, you know, we spoke French. So French is my native tongue. We learned English when we were there. Uh, so we didn't really understand English at first. So when we went to church, 
I didn't get anything out of church because obviously I didn't understand a thing what was being said. So my dad understood English. He, he, he worked in, in the UN, for the UN, so he spoke English, he understood English. None of us really grasped it. So going to church was really, uh, well, nobody wanted to go to church. What's the point? You know, I'm not going to get anything. I'm just going to go sit there and like, okay, let's go home, right? So, so my, my mom was concerned, obviously, for, for the children. So she, there was an evangelist from the country of, I don't remember if it was Congo or Cameroon. I don't really quite remember. But he used to go and have house meetings from houses to houses. So he would come to our house every Sunday. So that was our, our church. So I looked forward to those times because, you know, that's when I could at least hear the word in French. Back then, the concept of tapes and all that, we didn't even have tapes in French. We didn't have no message books in French, none of those things. So he, uh, he, he came to our house, and he, every single Sunday we'll have church in the house. We'll sing a few songs, and he will speak. And man, he was a sharp evangelist. Man, I mean, when I, I mean sharp. When he left, everybody cried. Like, by the time he was done preaching, you were all sinners at the altar repenting. If you didn't have the Holy Ghost, you sought for it. If you had the Holy Ghost, you questioned whether you had it. He was one of those evangelists. So, but um, I remember that having a huge impression on me, and, and uh, I decided to get baptized when I was 11. I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to get baptized. I want, to, I want to give my heart to the Lord, which I did. I got baptized, and I came out of the water, and I felt super spiritual. You know, you, as a kid, you're like, man, I'm baptized now. I can take on the world. You know, I'm, I'm on top of the mountain. But we know it's, it, that's not the way it is. You're really, really only beginning. That's where you really start. So after that, we went back to Congo. And then I was really nothing, nothing really to highlight at this stage of my life. I was just a normal, regular kid, 11, 12, 13, 14. Now, at 14, something special happened. That was a milestone for me in my, in my life. And I remember the date. I actually have that date here. It was March 16th. I remember that date specifically because there was a minister who I was teaching on, on how the gospel left, you know, started in the east in Israel, and he went to Europe, and he went to, to the evening light in the west, west coast of America. He, he was painting such a beautiful picture, I remember, in that service. And it was during that service as he was ministering that something dropped in my heart so specifically and so clear, this message is true. Amen. It was that day that I could never, I had a change of perspective. That's when I realized that this is not the message of mom and dad. This is not a message of William Branham. This is not another church. Hallelujah. It's not another denomination. Yeah. It's not just a, a code of conduct. It's not a group of people that believe the same thing. This is the message that God has sent in these last days. And here I am sitting, and I can see it. That was a special day. Now, when your eyes come open, and you see what God is doing in these last days, like, consider yourself privileged. You know, sometimes I, when, when I'm in a car going somewhere, perhaps to church or the grocery store, wherever you're going, when I'm in the red light, sometimes I just stop there, and I'm listening to a tape, and I look around me, and there's all these different cars also waiting and I often think, here I am in this bubble between me and God in this car, and I'm hearing the voice of God for these last days. Hallelujah. And nobody else around me seems to know what's going on. Now think about it. God had a plan, and he had a message, and he had a voice, and he had a messenger on this earth who spoke that message. And there's 7 billion people 
you just happen to be one of the few. Not only that knows about it, but that has heard it and that believes it. Think about it. That's a privilege that we shouldn't reduce to I was born in the message. No, no, no. Don't mistake your birth in the message, church, being something regular. It doesn't take away from the supernatural aspect of you hearing the same voice that your parents heard. Amen? You know, sometimes we, we as young people, we, we, we have this complex that since we were born and raised in the message, then our testimony is not as true as those who were born outside and came in. That's the lie of the devil. The devil wants to tell you, well, you know, you were born in church. That's all you know. Are you really a believer? And then you look at somebody else's life. You know, they were in drugs and they were partying. They did all these things. And then God came by the way and changed your life. So you're like, this is what I want. That's the lie of the devil. Because the God that changes is the God that keeps. You know, when, when Jesus comes to, to the tomb of Lazarus, he introduced himself to, to Martha and Mary. He says, do you not know that I am the resurrection? And the life. Yeah. I've often, I've never thought about this till last week. How come he didn't say, I am the life and the resurrection? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He starts from being the one that brings back to life. Yeah. That's what the resurrection is. I'm the one who can take a dead person and bring back to life. Yeah. But the second person says, and I am the life. Which means I can give and sustain life. Yeah. He is the resurrection. He can come and take a dead person. Raise them up, but he's life. He can keep them alive. So the resurrecting power of God, or the sustaining power of God, is still God. Whether you're bound by chains and you broke them in the world, or whether you're just a church-going person, you're still bound by certain chains. You just don't know it. But you don't need the chains of those that were in the world. Okay? So... Just being a normal key then, I call that revelation, this message is the truth. And I remember sitting in the pew and I was weeping. And my sister asked at the end of the service, she said, why are you crying? I said, I can't stop crying. I don't know why. But there was such a, a fountain of joy that broke loose in my heart that I cannot explain it. I couldn't stop it. I couldn't contain myself. Something started bubbling in my soul saying, you found something that's true. So then I carried on with that revelation. I started reading my Bible, and I, I started having somewhat of what you would call a walk. And uh, my dad was sent back again to Zimbabwe for work again, so the whole family will move there again. And then here I am back again in the country that I dreaded. Uh, but now I feel like I'm more spiritual now than I was back then, so I, I'm, I'm okay. I'll say, you know what, this is going to be fine. It's going to be good. So we go back there, and... Now I can understand English, so I'm excited. You know, I can, I can understand English. We go to church. The church that we're attending now, most of the services were in a dialect called Shona. I'm like, come on. First it was English. Now I can get English. Now it's another language barrier that I can all grasp, right? So every now and then, the pastor of the church, will every now and then, speak in English. And when, he, when, we, when we came to church and he spoke, we were so happy because it was in English. But he, he traveled a lot, so most of the services were in a language that we could not understand, which was extremely frustrating. So bottom line, here's the mis first mistake. We decided to stop going to church. My brothers and I were like, you know, every now and then we'll go, but what's the point? Let's just stay home and all have our own fellowship, read the Bible. Now we get some message books. I think, I think we'll be good. It's a lie of the devil. The Bible says to assemble, gather together, right? There's a reason for that. 
And uh, so I, I continued not really being a bad, bad person or a bad, bad kid. I wasn't involved in anything worldly at that stage in my life. I was a good church-going kid. I, I had my friends and came back home. I, normal, nothing very special. And I carried on for a couple of years. Now, there's a lot of things that transpired there in the next three years that I'm going to skip for now. We may touch on them later. But then I, it was time for me to, to go to university, and I, I decided to go to, to South Africa, to Cape Town for a year. I said, you know what, before I go to university, I want to take a course there, then I'll go to university. So I did that, I went to South Africa, and that was the first time that I left mom and dad. So now I'm no longer under the shelter of my parents. They're no longer watching over me. I no longer have uh, the burden of keeping up with obedience. I no longer have the burden of making sure I don't get caught doing something wrong. The respect or the fear of God that comes from being raised in a godly family was gone. Because there are certain things that you cannot do in your house when mom and dad are there, right? There's a certain lesson you cannot live. Not, not even knowing it, but just being with your parents is already an umbrella of protection. Now, when you go out of that umbrella, now you get more exposed, which is exactly what would have happened to me. Then I got more exposed, and that's when the partying started. That's when the bars started. That's when university life started. And I pulled myself together. I said, you know what? I'm going to go to Australia where my brother was in, in, in university. And I said, you know, I'm going to be with my brother. It's going to be good. We're going to be two believers in the same home. He'll strengthen me. I'll strengthen him. Good idea, right? I made a very, very good plan. I, I convinced my parents to let me go. They said, yeah, sure, okay, we'll, go, we'll send you there. And I went, and I never sought the will of God. I never prayed about it. I never asked if it was the Lord's will. I don't even believe that my parents prayed about it either. I think we were all, all wrong there. You know, we thought that education is good. He needs to go to university. There's a good school there. Let's send him. Now, here's, here's a lesson to learn here. You never make life decisions without the Lord. God knows everything, and you know nothing. How on earth do you make decisions that are going to affect your life without consulting the one person who knows everything? Makes no sense, right? But when you go through it, you feel, you feel like, yeah, I can decide these things. But when you realize that it's, it's a mistake, it's, it's not even a mistake, it's, it's stupid. For, forgive the language. It's like, why would you make a decision without the Lord? School, work, marriage, where you live, what job you have, all those things involve the Lord. Perhaps if I had sought the Lord and I, I had prayed about it, God would say, don't go. Right? And then I would save myself a year and a half of scars. But I, I didn't do that. I, I went ahead. I went to school. I went to university there. With the spiritual reason and motive that I can be a strength to my brother and he can be a strength to me. The devil will give you all spiritual reasons you need to, to get you to where he wants you to be, right? And, uh, you know, when, when Satan came to Eve in the Garden of Eden, it was a very spiritual reason, a compelling reason to eat of the fruit. You will be like God. You know, it's like light bulb, wow. I'll be more spiritual than I am right now, right? And the devil always comes and portrays things and disguise them as a great opportunity. But behind it, there's death. So here I am in Australia now in the city of Perth in Western Australia. I'm going there. I'm on the plane. I'm thinking this is going to be amazing. I'm going to be there with my brother. We're going to have a good time. We're going to go to school. We're going to be 
strengthen each other in prayer. We're going to fellowship together. The week that I arrive, I'm at the party with my brother. The very week that I arrive. What happened to all my spiritual reasons? Gone. Right? And it just happened to be that the church, the only church in, in the city where I was, was an hour and a half away. So then now you're looking, you're like, okay, I'll go to church on Sunday. Then you're like, yeah. Before you know it, it's like, nah, I'm not going to church anymore, which is exactly what happened. And I ended up staying home for about a year, didn't set foot in the church, whether denominational or message church, a year. And if I look back in my life and my regrets, the year I spent in Australia was the year I regret the most in my entire life. It was a waste of my life. It was a year of scars, a year where I, I went in a very dark place and to the point there, I'm just sharing this to be, to be transparent with you, to the point where I, I, the way I can describe it is I lost consciousness of God. I wasn't an atheist. I knew there was a God. But I lived a life carelessly without ever thinking that there was a God. Right. You know, as, as believers, we know that there is a God. And even when you backslide, you see, no, there is a God. There's certain things that you won't do because you know there is a God. And there's certain things you think twice about because you know there is a God. But when you take away that, yeah. what's to stop you? Because there's no judge. There's no God. There's no accountability. There's nobody who's Lord over me, right? And that's what Australia was for me. And I, I can't even remember praying once. While I was there, like after, after the first few months where I really went into a dark place, I can't really remember either, either praying or singing or, or, or whatever it is. And it was as though God never existed. Now, I'm in Australia. I'm doing great in university. I was there for my first year in university. I was doing great. Uh, at the university that I attended, they had... They had this program where companies will come on campus and then they'll look at uh, the transcript of the best students and they'll kind of like prep them for the workplace and offer them jobs even before they graduated. So there was a company that came there that, you know, they built computer, I did computer science, so they were building computer systems for police cars. And uh, I, I got invited to, to go to the headquarters. I went there, I met the CTO of the company and they said, you're one of the, brain, the best students we've had here. We want you to work with us as soon as you graduate, and your job is ready for you, all that. So in my mind, I applied, this is it. This is where I'm going to lead my life. I'm going to finish university, which, which a bachelor in Australia is three years as opposed to four years here in, in Canada. So I had two more years. I say, in two years, I'm going to get a full-time job for this awesome company. I'm going to get my paperwork here. I'm going to live here permanently. This is it. Australia is where I'm going to live. And as I was finishing that first year of university, I was going to, to write my final exam, and I was on a bus going to university. It was about a 40-minute 40, 40 drive to, to the university, and I, I sat back. I remember exactly where I sat. It was about two rows from the back and against the window, and I put my head against the window. I was just looking towards outside, and I just fell asleep, just thinking. And it was in that state of sleep. I can't tell whether it was a dream or whatever it was. Now... This is significant because the entire time I've been in Australia, I've never had any spiritual encounter. I've not prayed. I've not gone to church. I don't even know how to reach God at that point, which is why he came to me. So as I had my head leaning towards that, that bus and the window in that dream land, so to speak, I hear a voice that speaks to me and says, 
return home until I tell you what to do. Very clear. Return home until I tell you what to do. So this is strange. Uh, after I finished my exam, I called my parents and I say, I'm coming home. They say, no. I say, I have to come back home. My dad and my mom say, absolutely not. Do you know how much money we spent to send you to university? Do you know the sacrifices we've made? You're going to finish. And God bless my parents. They really did all their best to give me an education. And, you know, obviously, growing up in the Congo, the prospect of having a good education university wasn't, wasn't there. So it took a lot of sacrifice and effort to send your children to study, which is what my parents did. So for them, it, was, it didn't make any sense that I would want to throw all of that to come back. And I, I say, Mom, I believe God spoke to me. God, God spoke to me. They didn't believe that I was serious about it. They thought that I was, you know, maybe feeling homesick. They say, just press on, press through. Of course, they didn't know what life I was living either. So I fought it, and I fought it, and I wrestled with it. I called some friends back home or some people that I respected, I looked up to, and I told them about it. They, everybody that I knew told me not to go back home. Stay in Australia. And the hardest decision till then, the hardest decision I'd made in my life was that decision to leave. The hardest. Because it felt to me that I was throwing my life, which seemed to be a guaranteed future, for something completely unknown. Who was to tell that was even God? You know, I've not been going to church. I've not been praying. It's... It was really gambling. It was really saying, I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket, and I'm going to risk and sacrifice everything. Amen. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Right? Like Esther said, if I perish, I perish. So finally, my parents gave in, and they, they sent me a ticket, and I flew back home. And then I'm back home with my parents for about six months, and there I know that something has happened to me. I'm not spiritual. I'm not filled with the Holy Ghost by, by no means. But I know that a supernatural being has interrupted my life. Right. It's clear to me. My life was going this way, and somebody stepped in and interrupted my life. Isn't that what happened to you? Right. You were living your life a certain way. You were doing certain things, and somebody came in your life and interrupted the course of your life uninvited. Right. It wasn't just saying, oh, God, oh, God, where are you? It was there was a predestinated seed in you crying out to God. And God responded to that call before you were even aware of it. Yeah. And then God comes in your life and interrupts your life. And that's exactly what happened. There was, now I'm called. I'm like, something has interrupted my life. And I don't know where this is going to go. The good or the bad, I have no idea. So now my dad is asking me, where do you want to go? Because I was doing computer science. He's looking at the best universities where he could send me. I said, do you want to go to the UK? I said, no. Do you want to go to this country? I said, no. Do you want to go to the US? I said, no. Where do you want to go? I say, I don't know. There's just something in me that I say, until I tell you what to do. That's, that, those are my instructions. Go back until I tell you what to do. As long as I didn't hear what to do, I wouldn't do anything about it. So it took six months until one day my dad came back home from work and we're having dinner. He said, you know what? There's a good university in Canada. You, do you want to go to Canada? At that very moment, something just put my heart and said, go. And I say, Canada, that's where I need to be. That's where I have to be. So we applied, and here, here's the supernatural part of it, is that usually like, you, you would choose where you want to go, what university, what city. As I was looking at the different places where I wanted to go, I was thinking the, the East Coast. Right? I was thinking Ontario, I was thinking University of Ottawa, or University of Toronto, this is what I was thinking. 
So we went to do the application and we worked with an agency, a travel agency that, that took care of all that. They only did Vancouver. And they were the best agency in the country. And they only did, for Canada, it was only Vancouver. They did Australia, Canada, UK, different countries, but for Canada, it was only Vancouver. So if I really wanted to go to Canada, I had to go through them. So which is what we did. So they chose my university. They chose the city where I was going to be. I had no hand in that, right? So I arrived in Canada April 22nd, 2012, so it's been 11 years now. And I arrived in the city of Vancouver, and I, I'm thinking Vancouver, Vancouver. I've heard that, that name before, Vancouver. So I look up Vancouver. Is there any message church in Vancouver? And I see Ed Bisco. And I, Ed Bisco, where do I know this name? I've heard this name before. I, I couldn't even put it together, but I knew it sounded familiar to me. Then I, I, I realized, oh, yeah, I remember reading his testimony when I was younger. Yeah, I remember Brother Ed Bisco. So I came to the church, and Brother Ed was preaching. And uh, he was preaching on piercing to the dividing asunder. He took it from Hebrews 4, chapter 12, of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is sharp, discerns. So in that service, God, God really discerned my life, where, wherever I was, everything that I was. And uh, I remember just something speaking to me and saying, this is where you need to be. This is where you need to be. And at that moment, I now knew I'm here for a purpose. I don't know what that purpose is, but I know that there's a reason why I was in Australia. My life got interrupted, sent back home, and now I'm here. And none of this happened with my, with my doing. I just followed. So now, at least, the Lord has my attention, right? I'm listening. There's something that you're doing. I don't know what, what that is quite, but I'm listening. But God didn't immediately start to deal with my heart. He just brought me to where I needed to be. And there's a timing for everything. So I lived on campus. I was in university. I wasn't saved or anything. I just knew I came here for school. And then I thought to myself, you know what? I'm in Canada, and the U.S. is just here. So if I can do really, really good in school and get a scholarship, I can fulfill my dream to go to MIT. Because that, that was my, my dream to get to graduate from the MIT and, 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 and teach at university. That's what I always, always wanted to do. So I'm like, yeah, that's a good plan. So I'm going to focus on school. Grades, 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 grades. Excellence, excellence, excellence. Get a scholarship and get out of here. Right? That's, again, that's just my, my carnal plans. So which is exactly what I did. I just set my focus on, on academics. And, you know, I was just a straight A student. And obviously everybody says that, right? Who, who says I was a straight F student? I failed all the classes. Like, everybody else, I was, I was an A student, right? So I, I did really, really well in, in university. A plus, A, A, A plus, that's all I did. And I was like, this is great. My life is training the right direction. You know, I'm going to get the scholarship by the time I graduate. Every now and then I'll come to church. I didn't come to church regularly because I was on SFE campus. It's a lengthy process just to get you to, to the church. Not that lengthy, considering the sacrifices many people make to be in church. But it was just, at that time of my life, there was no drive to really be in the house of God every, every service. So I came when I could. And it was in those services where the Lord really started to get my attention, slowly, slowly. And I was living my own life on campus, and slowly the Lord started to get my attention. And then I told myself, I can't do this anymore. You know, I've done the whole go to church Repent, have an altar experience, and say, okay, now I'm going to be a good Christian, and 
you know, seem to live a good life for a week or two and then go back to what I used to be. I, I said, I can't do this. You are familiar with that cycle, right? And I say, you know what? I'm, there's no amount of preaching that's going to break me. I said, I want to do it. I will not let myself be broken down again because, you know, I, I have a natural affection and love for the things of God. And if I can just open up my heart, I will get affected. But I didn't want to get affected for the same reason, for the simple reason that I didn't want to go back to what I left. Because I knew the disappointment. I'm going to get excited. I'm going to have hope. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to go back home feeling great. And then before you know it, I'll be right back where I was. What's the point? Right? I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. So for me, the solution was don't respond to the word ever. You know, don't respond. Just close your heart. Just be on your guard. So I built walls. I said, you're not going to get to me, preacher. You won't. I won't let you convict me. So that's what was, that was my attitude in church. And on a Wednesday night, a particular Wednesday night, I came to church, which was rare for me. Actually, I believe it was a Sunday morning. It, it was a Sunday morning, actually. And I, I came to church, and Brother, Brother, Tom, Brother Tom Ray, uh, who you know very well, spoke on Kept in His Peace. That was his title. Kept in His Peace. And the way I describe this every single time I share this part of my testimony is that if you find the best salesman there is on earth, the best of the best salesman, and then he, he sells something to you and you buy it because he so convinced you that this was the best tool to ever buy. Like, you, you, you took all your life savings to buy that because he was that good of a salesman. That was Brother Tom. The way he sold peace to me in that service, because that's the one thing I needed was that peace, because I never had it. I knew that if I committed, I tried to serve the Lord, what was to tell me that this time it will work? I didn't have that peace. But the way he laid it, and not of, not of his own ability, obviously the Holy Spirit, he sold peace in such a way that I was ready to sell everything to buy it. Like, I was so convinced, without a shadow of a doubt, I need that peace. I need it. And he described peace, he said peace is not the absence of trouble. Simple statement. He said, peace is the presence of God. Oh my. That's what real peace is. It's not when everything is going well at the house. It's not when everything is going well in your life or everything is going well in church or in your home. Peace is what God walks with you. No matter what circumstances you find yourself in, that's true peace. Right? And I needed that type of, that type of a peace. And here I am. I'm starting to feel my walls are crumbling. And I'm, he's getting to me. He's getting to me. And I'm trying to hold on. I'm trying to fight. I'm like, I'm not going to let you get me. I, I can't do this. I can't. I can't. Yes, I need it. That's what it was. When the Holy Ghost broke through, no matter what barriers I build up, when God wants to get a hold of a predestinated seed, you better believe he's going to tear walls down. When God wanted to get Rahab, you think the walls of Jericho were going to stop God? It took seven marches around the city, but believe it, those walls came down for one sister, for a child of God who had a predestinated seed calling out to God. And no matter walls that I built up, God was able to break through those walls. And there I found myself fully convinced that I can give it one more shot. One more shot is what I told myself. I told myself, here we go again. What if it doesn't work? And something said, what do you got to lose to try? 
Some of you perhaps you know what I'm talking about, where you've been disappointed in life, you've tried to serve the Lord, you've tried to walk, but you can't seem to attain what your friends attain. You can't seem to go where you want to go, and you say, maybe this is not for me. Maybe I'm not cut off for this life. Maybe I'm just not an overcomer. Maybe I'm not meant to overcome. Will I ever overcome this spirit? Will I ever overcome this struggle? You've been there. Perhaps you know what I'm talking about. And there's something tells you, what's the alternative? It's either you give it one more go, or you lay there depressed, oppressed, in chain, in bondage. What's your alternative? Do you want freedom? There's a place to get it. So it was, give it one more go. See, here it is, Lord. Let's give it one more go. So I went to see Brother Tom, and I say, Brother Tom, I, I want to get baptized. And now, I was baptized when I was 11, but now I'm convinced that I have to restart from scratch. So obviously, I didn't understand them really what I was doing. And also, I was baptized in a, in a, in a little pool, so to speak. And I, back then, I thought I had to baptize in a river to be spiritual. I was like, oh, I need a river baptism to, be, to really feel like I was baptized. Anyways, uh, I went to see Brother Tom, and I, and I, and I showed, this is why I was, I was smiling, Brother Ed, when you're sharing your testimony with me today, because I had a similar experience. So I went to see Brother Tom, and I told Brother Tom, I, I'd like to get baptized, and and I say, Brother Tom, I, I want what you preached. I want it so bad. I want this Holy Ghost you're talking about. I need it so bad, but I just, I just don't know that I can do this again. Here I am in his office, and I'm like, and I'm weeping, and I'm crying. And I says, I, I, I want it, but I, I, I'm afraid. He says, what are you afraid of? I say, I'm afraid that when I walk out of those waters, I'll be fine for a week. I'll be fine for a month. I'll be fine for a few months, and I'll be back to where I was before. I said, you need to give me a guarantee that this time will be different. That's what I told him. I want this, but you, you have to guarantee me that this time it's going to be different. He looks at me and says, Brother Jean, what greater guarantee than his word? Repent and be baptized, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What greater guarantee than that? I thought, man, he got me. As simple as those words are, they're so powerful. There's no greater guarantee to the believer than the word of God. When we talk about the perspective of an overcomer, you have to understand that before you even came on the face of the earth, it was prophesied that you would overcome. You don't need a greater guarantee than what the word says about you. You are called to be an overcomer. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your ability. It has nothing to do with your decisions. It has everything to do with the fact that it's been spoken about you. You will manifest what God said of you. You know why David could go and fight Goliath? Because he was anointed by a prophet that told him he was going to be king. David couldn't help but act as a king. David couldn't help by taking risks because he knew as long as I'm not on the throne, nothing can happen to me. You are prophesied to sit in his throne. And as long as you're in Laodicea, you better believe that you will overcome. Not because you have the ability to do so. Not because you have the willpower to do so. Because God said it. What greater guarantee do you need than what his word says of you? Lord, can I overcome this? Yes, you can. Lord, can you set me free of this? Yes, you can. Will I ever be, put this behind me? Yes, you will. 
will I ever put this spirit under my feet? You will. Why? Because he said it. You don't need any other guarantee than his word. That's what you need to take. It's the word of God. You say, I don't feel anything. You don't need to feel anything. You need to take what God said. I feel like I'm the weakest Christian. Who cares? You need to take what God said of you. That's your victory. It's what the word says. That's your guarantee. That's your warranty. You can buy the best cars and say, I want a five-year warranty that if my engine breaks down, you'll fix it. And you have confidence in the warranty. You pay extra because you want the warranty. And here God gives you the best warranty and you don't have to pay for it. His word is what you need. His word is more than enough for you. I know we live in an age where as young people sometimes we, we want to feel some, some supernatural experience. You know, we want to feel spiritual. Faith is not feelings. You know, one day I would like to preach on demystifying Jesus Christ. Because I feel like too many people think of Jesus Christ as this supernatural man that felt spiritual 24-7. Jesus Christ was a man like you and me, except that he was not born in sin. But his body was subject to sin. That's why he became sin. He was tempted, just you and I were tempted. Don't think the temptation of Jesus Christ were different than yours. As a matter of fact, the prophet of God says in the message, I can now overcome, that no man was ever tempted more than Jesus. No man. You think, the oh Lord, this temptation in these last days, uh, I, I, I can't seem to overcome this. At least Jesus was the word made flesh. You are the word made flesh. You better believe that you are the word made flesh. This is what the scripture says. So if Jesus overcame by the word, so can you. If Jesus overcame by being something so supernatural, then he expects you to overcome by being born in sin. That's not fair. That's an unreasonable expectation to put on a man born in sin. Like if Jesus Christ cheated, so to speak, right? He had access to another power that you don't have access to. Then he says, I overcame. You can overcome to you like, Lord, you had extra power that I don't have. Right? And that would be fair. But he said to him that will overcome. As I overcame, he's saying on the same basis I overcame, so can you. I overcame temptations, so can you. I overcame all that the devil threw at me, so can you. Did I use any spiritual power? No. Did I use my theo? Do you think Jesus escaped in his theophany when the devil came so he, doesn't, so he would accept temptation? No. He faced temptation like a man. But he took what the word said of him. The guarantee. Do you know Jesus committed his soul to the Lord and went into the grave on the basis of one promise? That I will not leave your soul, right? I will not suffer my righteousness to see corruption. Jesus casted his entire life on one scripture, knowing that it was promised that it wouldn't be 72 hours, he will come out of that grave. He entrusted his life on what the word said. He could count on the word. If he could, so can you. So I didn't need anything else in the guarantee of the word. So I took the word. Uh, Brother Tom told me, he says, go back home. Sunday morning when we baptize you, maybe wake up earlier that day. Maybe spend some time with the Lord in prayer and then come to church. And I believe that God will grant you your heart's desire. So I did. Sunday morning, July 15, 2012. I woke up early in the morning at 5. 
I got into prayer. And as I was praying, and I, I started talking to the Lord, and I said, Lord, you interrupted my life when I was going to Australia. And you said to go back home until I tell you what to do. And I said, against all odds, I obeyed. Mom said no. Dad said no. Friends said no. Everybody around me said no. But I obeyed. I said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, quoting what Paul said. That's what I prayed. I said, now you led me to go through these waters of baptism, and I'm obeying. So I came to church. Brother Biscop preached out Sunday morning. His title was The Vision of the Commission. He says, let's stand. We stand. He opens the Bible in Acts chapter 17, and he reads Paul, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. That's when I knew. And when I walk out of those waters, I'm going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's when I knew that that Sunday morning was a supernatural appointment. Because the God that dealt with me that morning and gave me that scripture, dealt with the pastor and gave him the same scripture. And that was his service. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And I knew this is the day. And I got in those waters. And I came out of those waters. Brother Tom prayed. And I'll never forget his prayer. He said, Lord, there's a fire in my bones. That's so real to me. But let it be real to him. And may you use him that you may know that you've answered his prayer. And when I came out of those waters, I was the same person outwardly. I didn't feel any spiritual type of way. I didn't feel angels' wings around me. I didn't feel the pillar of fire upon me. I didn't feel anything special. But I had a guarantee that I did not have before. I hang my soul on the word. And little by little... My life was changed. Little by little, I just pressed on and walked, and things started to drop out of my life. And people started to tell me on campus, you're different. There's something different about you. Something happened to you. Yes, something happened to me. And then before I knew it, I had this overwhelming burden in my heart. People at SFU need to know about this Christ that I've met. They have to hear what I met. This God that I met. And that put such a burden on me. And I couldn't sleep. I couldn't focus on school. I still did well in school. But my focus was on this burden. I remember going back. When I would go to university. I will come back home. And I will throw my backpack on the floor. And I will collapse on my knees. And start praying. And there was just a burden on my heart. Saying Lord. Lord this message that you've given me. Somebody else needs it. I need to take this out. Who on campus needs it? I need a witness to somebody. And it became such a fire. That I started witnessing all over campus. And before you knew it, one got saved. Another person got saved. Another person got saved. Another person got saved. They started coming to church, getting baptized one by one. One by one. One by one. And the common thread was, how do you get to this message, Jean? How did you get this message, Jean? How did you get this message, Jean? Who is Jean? Because nobody knew who I was. But it was the burden of the Lord that he placed on my heart that I could no longer escape. And God came quickly to vindicate that he heard my prayer. And then now the life that I have, Jesus said that the waters that I give shall be in you. Oh, well. Uh, I love that statement in the Bible because the woman in the well comes to Jesus. She comes to the well to get water. And then Jesus says, the waters that I give shall be in you. Oh, well. In other words, once you receive these waters... God digs a well in your soul that you have access to water 24-7. 
You don't need to come to church to get the waters. You always have it in you. Once you get the Holy Ghost, there's a fountain that's opened up in your soul. That God brings water every time you thirst for it. And whenever you need it, God brings things back to your remembrance. Because you're no longer on your own. There's a being now living in you. Now, that happened. I'm going to skip because I'm running out of time here. Skip a few things. Then, that was 11 years ago, I started walking with the Lord. Walking with the Lord. And 2017, I was listening to, I was in my home. I was listening to a service by Brother Donnie Regan. Now, the title was, The Danger of an Unsurrendered Heart. How many have heard that? Okay, you have. Yeah, I've heard that. The Dangers of an Unsurrendered Heart. And I was listening to that service, and I got convicted. Like, not condemned. Convicted. There's a difference. God doesn't condemn you. It's the devil. Like, God convicts. The Holy Ghost put his finger in my heart, and I was convicted, and it bothered me, and I didn't know why. Because for as far as I could tell, I surrendered my life. I've been walking with the Lord, uh, giving my heart to God. There is nothing in my life that I was holding back to. There is nothing in my heart that I wanted to keep mine. I, I had given everything. But I know the Holy Ghost, and I know what conviction is, and I could not be mistaken. This, I'm being convicted by the Holy Ghost. Why? It really bothered me. A uh, couple of years after that, Brother Murphy, this is actually two years ago, Brother Murphy was speaking in our church, and uh, he started to speak about the surrender life again. And here comes the same conviction. And now, now I'm really upset because I know that God has put his finger on something, and I don't know what it is. And it's really frustrating because I want to be right with God. And as far as I know, I am. But there's something that he's putting his finger on that I don't know what it is, and I'm really, really frustrated. So I, I'm in prayer. I'm like, Lord, you know my heart. You, you know that I love you. You know that I've surrounded my life to you. You know that there's nothing I want to do more than to serve and live for you. Is there anything in my heart, anything in my life that you feel that I've not surrendered fully? What, what is it? Now, <laughs> I had not known at that time. Oh, now, when I look back, I realize that the Lord started calling me to preach years before that. And I buried it so far, so, so far that I never thought about it again. You know, I buried it really far because I was like, I have, there's no way. There's no way you're going to get me there. There's, there's no way. And uh, that's the part that since for me it was under the rug, so to speak, I never thought about it. So it never came back in my conscious mind, but it was in my subconscious somewhere. And that's what God was putting his finger on. So I, uh, I came to a service on Sunday morning and Brother Murphy had a, altar call and and I was sitting in the back and I was like no I'm not going to go I'm not going to go I can't do this I, it's not that I don't want to go it's just I just don't know what to do like if I go to the altar what am I going to say Lord I surrender like I've, I've prayed this prayer a million times what is it that I'm actually going to, to do so I was just sitting there battling and battling and battling and my wife she she nudged me and she says I want to go can you come with me and I was like okay sure so I went with my wife and we we're praying and then and then as I opened my eyes, Brother Tom had just finished praying for somebody. So I just went and I grabbed his, I grabbed his arm behind him. And I said, Brother Tom, pray for me. He turned and says, what is it? And I, and I just broke down. And I said, every time I hear a service on the full surrender, I get convicted and I don't know why. And I said, as far as I know, I've surrendered my life. Lord, what is it that he wants me to do? And at that moment, Brother Tom knew exactly 
what it was. And, and he said, let's pray. And then we prayed and we said, Lord, he said, there's a man once called Isaiah. And there was a voice that spoke. I said, who will go? And Isaiah said, Lord, here I am, send me. And he said, there's a call on Brother John's life. And may he, like Isaiah, say, Lord, send me. And I remembered at that moment, sure, this is what it is. I'm not, this is the part of my life that I've kept to myself. So I surrendered everything to the Lord that day. And I said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. I don't care about tomorrow. I don't care about my fears. I don't care about my doubts. I don't care about my own insecurities. I, whatever your will is, here I am. Finished praying, and I went back to the back of my seat, and I sat down, and I grabbed my Bible. And as I was grabbing my Bible, something spoke to me and said, you're preaching on Wednesday. And I said, no. <laughs> I grabbed my Bible. I said, if I can exit the church fast, Brighton won't see me. So I grabbed the Bible, and I'm like, out the door. And I'm going towards the, the sanctuary. So I'm out of the sanctuary, and I'm pushing the second door to go in the parking lot. And somebody grabs me from behind, and it's Brother Victor at Moray. He says, Brother Tom wants to see you. I said, oh, my goodness. And then I knew that it was game over then, and I, I went in the office, and he said, I believe the Lord is calling you. you you're going to take next Wednesday. I said, I can't do this. I can't. Please don't make me do this. And I pleaded, and I pleaded, and I pleaded, and he, he didn't care. <laughs> he had no mercy. And then, so we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And, and then I came and I preached my first service two, two and a half years ago, and the rest is history. And uh, that burden of not being fully surrendered, gone. It's completely gone. It's never come back. And now I believe that I am where the Lord wants me to be, and that's why I can say yes to scary invitations such as this ones and come here but to get back to our text i'm just going to close now and uh it's nine o'clock just next 10 minutes here i was trying to talk about the attitude of an overcomer i didn't have the right attitude because i looked at every single time god dealt with me i looked at it as another deception uh, another disappointment rather i said i'm gonna be emotionally involved here i'm gonna feel a certain way then i'll be disappointed so the dealings of God, as opposed to me looking at them as an opportunity that God was extending to me, became a source of disappointment because I had the wrong perspective. So the devil came and lied to me, here's another altar call, you're going to get disappointed. Here's another camp, you're going to get disappointed. Here's another young people's service, you're going to get disappointed. Here's another church service, you're going to get disappointed again. It's always the same for you. You come to church, you feel like the day is going to work for you. It never works out for you. You try, you try, it never happens for you. You pray, God never hears you. Now you have the wrong perspective because of the lies of the devil. But if you change your perspective, you'll see things differently the way God sees them. When we look at temptation, and here's a, here's a problem. Because I, I used to think that when I get the Holy Ghost, temptation is a thing of the past. Like, I will never get tempted ever again because the Holy Ghost takes temptation away, right? That's what I thought. Wrong. So then, the, when I was confronted with the first temptation, I was like, I don't have the Holy Ghost. Why am I so tempted? Perspective. Now, when the prophet says that there cannot be any overcoming unless there's a test. Now, most people look at the test as a source of disappointment or fear when the test is actually an opportunity that God gives you to overcome. 
There's a reward for the overcomer. How are you going to get that reward unless you're tested? How are you going to be tested unless temptation comes? So the opportunity that God gives you is one step closer to the throne. If you change your perspective, you say, bring it on, Satan. Tempt me some more. Give me all you got. Because I will overcome. All you're doing is giving me opportunity after opportunity to apply the word. But you know what that is? It's when you're in school, we get three questions in our exams, and we think that the teacher is trying to make us fail. <laughs> like, this question is like, you know, it can be as simple as, what is the first letter of the alphabet? You're like, mm. no, that's a trick question. And you know the answer is A, but you're not sure. You're like, alpha, wrong. It's like, you, you overthought it because you thought that the intent was to trick you. The purpose of the test is to give you an opportunity to apply what you've learned. It's not to make you fail. It's not so you can get an F and fail that course. That's not the purpose. The purpose is you've learned enough. Now here's an opportunity to apply in confidence what you've learned. If you look at every trial and every test in your life with the right perspective, God is saying, I've given you enough word. Here's an opportunity for you to apply it. That's how you overcome. If I can summarize this in one sentence, how the Holy Ghost said with me, how can I overcome? It's a deliberate application of the word in every situation. Write that down and remember it. It's a deliberate application of the word in every situation. That means you have to make a choice to apply the word. That's how you overcome. It's not that you're going to feel a wind of a supernatural backing up behind you. It's going to be as simple as it is written. That's how Jesus overcame. He deliberately chose to apply the word. And that was overcoming power. Now we think of as a test as an opportunity to fail or, or, or as a reason to be distressed. You're like, I'm tempted, I'm going to fail. You know that most of the battles are lost before it begins? Amen? Most of the battles are lost before it begins. Here. This is where you lose it. You lose the battle right here. And the first stage to lose it is perspective. There's such a thing as psychological warfare. Do you know that? Warfare. There's, there's, you, you can inundate somebody in their mind and terrorize them in their mind that you win the war without firing a gun. And the devil has mastered that art. And that's what the greatest battle ever fought is in your mind. Why? Because the devil wants to use psychological warfare. He wants to use the power of thoughts. And he wants to inject his thoughts in your mind so that you lose the battle in your mind. You think that Eve lost the battle when she ate that fruit? It was here. It was here. The devil spoke to her here, and she had lost the battle here. And when you lose here, it's easy to go through the motions because this is where you control it, right? But if you deliberately apply the word of God in every situation by having a different perspective of the trial, the test is not to prove to you that you're a failure. The test is not to prove to you that you're a no good Christian. The test is not to prove to you how weak you are. The test is an opportunity to show you how strong you are by applying the word. Then you realize, I never knew I was this strong. I never knew I could overcome this. How? By applying the word. Then you know, if I overcame that, I can overcome this. David, if I overcame the bear, I can overcome the lion. I can overcome Goliath. Why? Because you apply the word. You apply the word. So I say, change your perspective tonight.
every situation that comes your way, every temptation that the devil throws at you, I'm getting ahead of myself for Sunday morning, but something I've been pouring on here is a change of perspective. We, we, we talk so much about the, the, the filth of Laodicea. Right? It's an evil age and it's a wicked age and, and the temptation in this age, Brother Bram says, is the powers of the devil is so much worse than it's ever been, which is true. All those things are true. The, the, the gates of hell are open. All the supernatural demons are right here with us. You're fighting battles that nobody else has ever fought. All those things are true. But if that's all you see, if that's all you see, you will never overcome. There's another side to that coin. Is that yes, it's the worst age, but it's also the most glorious age. Yes, it's the age of filth, but it's also the age of holiness. Yes, it's the age where Satan himself is on earth, but it's also the age where God himself is here. Yes, hell is open, but so is heaven. Yes, the depths of sin are fierce and worse, but so is the opening of the word and the power that God has loosed in this last day. Change your perspective. I said, start to look at that. Don't look at how bad it is. Brother Bonham says we keep telling the church how dark it is. But it's about time we keep telling them how light it's getting as well. Yes, it's dark, but so is the light. Do you know what's causing the light, the darkness to press? Brother Bonham says in the message of Shalom, he said it's God doing it and the light's causing it. It's the light that's pressing. And because the light is shining so bright and pressing, it causes the darkness to, to come together. That's the reason why you're living the filthiest age. Why? Because so is greater the light of this age. It's about time we start to rejoice in this day that we're living in. I've heard about enough about crying about how bad Laodicea is. It's the worst age. Brother Bonham said, I didn't want to live the days of Jesus. Oh my. That's what he said. He said, if Jesus asked me, which day would you want to live? He said, this day. The worst day? Yes. Where other supernatural demons are loose? Yes. Where everybody's going insane? Yes. Where mental pressure is at its highest? Yes. Where depression is at its highest? Yes. This day, Brother Bonham, this day. What about in the days of Jesus Christ? No. What about in the days where you walked on the waters? That was good, but that's not what I want. I want to live in this day. Why? Because Paul saw this day, and he wanted to be in this day. Irina saw this day, and it couldn't be in this day. Blessed are your eyes, for they see. You are living in the last stage, where for the first time in history, the book that was sealed has been loosed. That's a reason to shout and praise God and be happy about it and rejoice. Change your perspective. Is it getting darker? Yeah, but so is the light brighter. Are the powers of the devil fierce? Yes, but so is the power of God that he is loose in his last days. Are young people going insane and insane and insane in the depths of sin? Yes, but so is the young people that have heard the shout in these last days. They're standing here in the face of all adversity and overcoming. Because you can? No. Because you have the power to do it? No. Because the word says that you will do it. This is your guarantee. Take what the word says. It has nothing to do with your feelings. It's what the word said about you. Sorry I couldn't get too, too far in my nose here, but maybe let's stand tonight. I didn't even give you an opportunity to ask any questions. 
I hope you're encouraged tonight. My burden tonight was to let you know what the word said of you is what matters. You can go in the fire furnace if you know that God is there. You can easily go in the grave like Jesus did if you know there's a scripture that you can rely on to raise you up again. You can face anything because his word. That's all you really need, saints. Young people, that's all you need. I know that when you look at the, the lust of the flesh and uh, the pride of life and all the temptations that we're so surrounded about in this last age, you feel like you might need something different. The word is the most supernatural thing you'll ever get. Just change your perspective. It's not a code of conduct. It's not just a good advice. It's the power of God. And that power is in you. If you're going to be, if you're expected to overcome in the worst age, you better believe that God will equip you to make sure you overcome in the worst age. If the devil is going to throw everything he has against you, you better believe God is going to throw everything he has behind you. Change your perspective. Set your wings. And just relax. Have confidence in what the word says of you. Have faith in God. Man, Father Andrew. Feel free to play anything that's on your heart. I appreciate you all. I'm thankful to be here. And I trust that we can have some fellowship afterwards. And I'll see you Sunday morning. Trusting that the Lord will speak to us further. God bless you. wonderful. I have a question for Brother Jean. Knowing what you know now and what you've been through and now knowing the outcome, would you go through it all again? Yeah. Yeah. It's worth it all. It's worth it all to know Jesus. Amen. Why don't we just sing that little chorus? He came to me, he came to me. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. He came to me. He came to me. When I could not come to
that's why.